dear podcast friends, welcome to Insights and Beyond, Digitalization, Sustainability and Technology. The podcast by Trelleborg Ceiling Solutions. You're in the right place if you're interested in the driving questions around topics like digitalization, electrification and sustainability. And above all, if you want to participate in a discussion with your exciting questions and comments. Experience the talks with our experts from Trelleborg and specialists from business, industry and research. So have fun with a new episode of Insights and Beyond. Five hundred million or 950 per minute. That's the number of returns that were sent back in Germany in 2019 alone, according to a study. So the big Corona home shopping is not yet included. In terms of sustainability, a disaster, considering that clothes, for example, are mostly destroyed after returns instead of being refurbished. Where humans no longer know how to help themselves, AI is now supposed to fix it. Through intelligent algorithms that, for example, no longer displace products from brands that someone frequently sends back so high up, or that can directly calculate the residual value of a returned item via SmartScan. Does AI make the economy and our world better? Or does it disenfranchise consumers and decision makers? Far-reaching questions, which is why I also brought in two top experts, Dr. Angelika Schmidt, Senior Data Scientist at IBM and Dr. Johannes Kunze from Bischofshausen, Director Digital Transformation at Trellebox Ceiling Solutions. Hi there. Hi, thank you for inviting me. Hello. First of all, I have to ask, I felt so bad about that study and I thought, okay, I'm just probably one of those who are, sh who are shopping all the time online. I think uh, my shopping rate was 50% higher than in, uh, compared to normal times. What was it for you? So for me, it was basically the same because I have always been a heavy online shopper. Um, <laughs> but my return rate was, was always quite low, far lower than the average. So um, I think that's quite okay. So you ordered a lot of electronical stuff, right? Um, electronics <laughs> as well as clothes and so on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, clothes is, a, is a, a tricky part, I think. What about you? I started ordering a lot of sports gadgets, like to do sports at home. But I now have a rule to have everything in my basket for two weeks before I actually order it to lowered rate of items that will just block space in my apartment. Yeah, we don't use those things. That's that's a bad side of uh, home shopping. We Sometimes we lose the overview of what we have at home. But we're not only here to talk about our uh, shopping, um, yeah, let's say weakness. We're also here for uh, answering questions that uh, we received from our audience, for example, from our Trelleborg virtual conference in November 2020. And of course, from our audience here of the podcast. So we're going to answer all those questions or at least some of them. But before we start, I want to ask you um, one of our format questions. Um, if someone were to give a book title about your plans on digitization in 2021, what would be the title of it? For me, the book title in 2021 would be Transforming Trellebox Ceiling Solutions into a Data-Driven Company. Is that still sci-fi for you? <laughs> Is it more like, uh, I don't know, a, a realistic novel? <laughs> no, no. In fact, I mean, it's we, we've always been using a lot of data, for example, from our simulation uh, methods, from our test tricks. But there are a lot of areas where there's still a lot to improve. 
<laughs> That's the honest answer. There's still room in the air. That's good. So uh, speaking of a data-driven company, IBM, so what would be the title of your book, Angelika? So my personal book would be Reviving the AI Hype. I feel like there's um, a bit of frustration from early um, projects like that were not successful or that would, were, were canceled. And I think that we are actually at a stage now where, where technology is pretty mature and um, we're actually ready to roll them out, those use cases. And I think we can go back to reviving the hype, actually. Let's see what's possible today. That's what we're going to talk about later. So second question, everyone is talking about digital transformation. What question do we have to ask ourselves to make the new normal really uh, a transformation and not only a digitalization? The question we have to ask is, what does the digital transformation mean for every individual, for every individual role, such as, for example, an operator on the shop floor, a shift leader, an engineer, or what does it mean for a specific area? And um, that is often overseen. I mean, we, we talk a lot about digital transformation and tools like like communication tools and, and um, doing remote work. But that's just the starting point. So it's really about what does it mean for the individual role? How will the job change? I completely agree. I think often digitalization is mistaken for how can we do video conferences? And is there someone in this company that will take care of digitalization? But actually, digitalization is a topic that concerns every single role in the in the company. Like 90% of all job roles and job descriptions will include some element of digitization in the next years. So we have to think about everyone and, and like in, from the individual perspective. Yeah, that's why I like the expression digital transformation actually even more than just digitization because that's more the tech, uh, technical part of it. And the other thing is rethinking systems and processes. And I think that's quite a good topic to start with our questions from the audience. Um, and I mentioned something in the intro, which is not only let's say, a bad behavior of myself that I'm shopping online right now. It is also a huge topic for our um, environment because if we all do this home shopping that um, yeah, that much and it's increasing right now, um, we have to take care about our environmental protection. So one question of the audience is, how can AI help us meet the current and the future challenges of climate change? Maybe I can start with that yeah. one. Um, I think we have all the technology needed today to support all kinds of use cases in, in making climate change easier or like mitigating it and reducing it. And like basically everything that we can do, like uh, optimizing logistics, for example, we can support it with AI products, with forecasting, with analyt analytics, with um, optimizing processes with better communication tools. So we have all kinds of tools that are pretty mature that can support this. So basically, wherever AI makes things more efficient, uh, that's also a contribution to sustainability. And in, especially in the industrial world, there are three areas where we also work on. The first one is logistics. So um, optimizing supply chains, um, reducing um, the logistic costs, Is a, is a direct contribution to sustainability. Second, manufacturing. Um, reducing scrap, um, increasing the efficiency and the utilization of um, manufacturing equipment is also a great contributor to, um, to sustainability. 
And those two examples are very known and I would say almost um, off-the-shelf solutions that you can get from, from software vendors today. But there is a third area and that is not that area is not fully explored and that is the area of engineering. Using AI to reduce the amount of testing, using AI to reduce the amount of uh, experiments uh, or setup times in, in manufacturing and and solving the challenges of um, of engineering and manufacturing products, that is a huge area that has huge has, has huge potential. And to be honest, that is not fully explored yet. Yeah, and I think that is uh, also something that Corona shows pretty clearly. I mean, engineering and all the production uh, sector. I think it's not even thinkable right now that that could be something you can do remotely but parts of it they would be possible to do remotely for example you mentioned th one thing the testing part and i like the idea of or the, the the cases with the digital twin i mean they can uh, check in from every corner of the world and work on the same project and then they can test and maybe do some 3d printing so we we save money and we can also save um yeah some res resources so i i like the idea of that uh yeah digital world but i want to continue with another question um which is i think very let's say um practical minded <laughs> because this is a question for people who are not so into it into that topic like you both are i think you're the advanced ai specialists here but there are people outside companies outside they still want to start with that topic and here's a question from one of the audience um What are easy steps to get started with an AI project? Are design thinking workshops are a good place to start? We very often see that um, clients are kind of uninspired. Like they're saying, like, we don't really know what we want to do. Like, what is the next step? Like, how do we prioritize? Maybe they also, they have like a hundred different ideas, but they don't know how to prioritize them. And what we do then is really to, to get together with our clients and to prioritize and to find out where is your benefit, where's the best project and what among all these very good tools that we have, how can we best create value? And I think the design thinking is really helping in that regard by identifying really the need and the use case that we actually want to solve or that we want to, um, that we want to attack with um, AI technology. So what specifically uh, that uh, listener, I think it was a listener, mentioned the design thinking uh, workshop. Do you think that is a good approach to start AI projects? I do think so, because um, it gets many people on board. So we, we usually try to not have only the head of AI in such a workshop. We tend to have everyone from the company who has some use cases that might be improved with AI technology. So I do think it helps a lot to get different opinions and, and, and perspectives into the early phases of prioritization and of finding out what to do next. So that was the magical approach of Apple, not thinking about what isn't working, but what the, what do the people need and uh, what will they need in the future? So do you have also those, uh, let's say, Apple approaches in your company, Johannes? So I really like design thinking and and for some of our um services that we offer today that ha that have been the result of of um design thinking workshops i like the approach of having a human centered mindset and then starting from the needs instead of starting what is possible from a technology perspective on the other hand it's 
challenging to focus really on AI when you do a design thinking workshop, since in the end, all problems uh, will come up. And, and very often it's, it's then simple problems. It's, it's complaints about IT systems or, or things that are very much outside this focus. So design thinking can be an ins a source of inspiration. But then on the other hand, especially for those use cases that might not be new in the company, but might be commodity already on the market, you will find a lot of good literature and good inspiration in the net. So for example, in the human resources area, there's a great white paper on human resources, AI use cases from IBM. So that is, it should be a mixture. It should be things like asking people, but then also looking at the outside world and looking at what are the use cases that are almost off the shelf available. But then, of course, yes, as Angelica said, it, it's about prioritization in the end. It's about a business case. It's about calculating what will be the, the return of my investment. And uh, yeah, that should be the um, basically the, the guide for the guideline for, for the roadmap. Hmm. And and speaking of the controlling of things, uh, when I order things online, I have to admit that I order every time much more than I need because I want to make sure that there's something, at least one piece that really fits at the end. So is that something AI can do in, in terms of uh, the, um, yeah, the economy sector? Is that something that AI can prevent some kind of overproducing some kind of overordering is that a possible um, case definitely we have a re research center specifically only for fashion in india and they're doing this kind of um, digital twins also for people like <laughs> trying to see what fit you well in the past and what might be good brands for you that will fit you again and they, that you will like And so it really helps also the companies to find out what is wanted by the market or where the problems are maybe in their clothes and to identify those factors and to to um, really concentrate on what people really want and to reduce overproduction that way. Can you see such cases also in, in your field, Johannes, or is it not a problem at all because you just have your customers and your specific field and then you try to invent or improve something? Uh, no, it's definitely an application because in, in the end there is a customer that demand that we have to somewhat forecast and, and uh, manufacture according to what we think the buy pa buying pattern will be in the, the future. And, and that is something we, we spend a lot of effort into. We always have been spending a lot of effort into, but that we are also improving with AI in order to more accurately forecast what customers need and not overproduce to be sure, because of course, serving the customers our number one priority, but sustainable sustainability is becoming more and more important. So we really want to make sure um, that we only need to produce what you need, uh, what we can sell in the end. I've got another question here from the audience. And <laughs> I think there are many people sitting out there right now. When I read it out, I think, yes, I feel you. <laughs> and I'm uh, very curious what your answer will be to that question. Um, here's a question. Um, many AI projects have been tr uh, tried, but the plug has been pulled Uh, too early. Why is it so difficult to implement in real-world environments? So if you remember our conference, we had a very nice comparison from Sven there. He said, like, proof of concept, early phases in projects should not be about proving that a hammer is able to put a nail into the wall. So I think sometimes the expectations to an early phase of the project are quite high. You want to see good numbers. You want to see the algorithm produce certain 
um, prediction accuracies. You want to you, you put high numbers. You want to see actual cost reductions, but often that leads you to a path where you try to implement your AI too fast and you fail to build like really the basics and to really think how how will it create value in the long time and how can we also make the development process sustainable. And that leads to frustrations and deceived expectations. And that is why often companies give up too early because we have to admit like it's a, it's a huge, there are huge costs to AI also to implementation. And that's of course a risk. Yeah, I think that is a good point. I mean, you have to keep the expectation on a realistic level. And I think that is often a very huge problem. Uh, people don't understand how, how long things can, can last if you invent something or if you want to try out. And this is not only just one way and then you got it and then you can move on. So sometimes you have to test different ways. And of course, for AI uh, applications, you, you need data. So please uh, have a little bit, uh, be a little bit patient out there <laughs> with your employees. They try their best, uh, but sometimes it takes a while. Um, I found a very interesting project, which is called AgriGaia in Germany. Um, and then it is well, it's a consortium of well-known players of industry and research, and they are working on an open AI standard. So the people can, uh, yeah, can look what is going on right now and see the latest development of it. And this is uh, for the agri-food industry. And German Federal Ministry of Economic Affairs and Energy is also funding this with around 12 million euros. So is that imaginable for others? industries have you heard something about that uh, in terms of let's say the mobility sector or anything else so what we have to admit is the agricultural industry is on a high level of digitization already so they have been working during the last decades already on, a, on automation they've been working on digitization quite early so it's very natural that AI is already involved in the entire chain from, from planting to, to harvesting finally. And second, what we've also seen is that there are the different big players in the agricultural markets were trying to dominate also the, the, the digital world and the digital agricultural world. So the big machine vendors as well as the big chemical companies in the, in the agricultural area and in the end, there was not one dominating player. And that might be a lesson learned and that might be also a concept shift leading to such a more open and more decentralized way is, is really the, the finding that there cannot be one dominating party and, and there, probably there will not be a Google for, for the agriculture market soon. And that is why I think that's really good practice and, and, and definitely that is something that we'll see in under, other industries as well. We need to see that this creation of an open standard also leads to more innovation. It is really crucial that we don't monopolize knowledge and innovation there. We want open standards so that everybody can easily like, plug in their personal AI or their use cases into the large um, industry platform. And I mean, it worked pretty well with smartphone apps. So there was a pretty standard way to integrate new apps and then everybody could develop new things and that, that was how all the innovation uh, innovation came up in, in app creation and it's the same here we need to create standardized um, interfaces and then everybody can do the innovation and we need to democratize it and decentralize it 
Yeah, and I don't want to make a political statement right now. I'm I, I'm just fascinated about the fast development of the vaccine for Corona, and it, it was also a kind of an open source project, and uh, it also was developed with the help of supercomputers. So AI was also helping to find that vaccine. So no no political statement, but that was very interesting, and and, and it showed very clearly what could be possible if the people are working together all around the world. So now we're at one point for our um, yeah for our listeners who are listening to us every time we release a new podcast they probably know what's upcoming next and for those who are joining us the first time we have a little part which is called sci-fi or solution I read out a line and I ask my experts here if that is something which is a solution so could be true or is already true and uh, the other side would be yeah that is a nice idea Sarah but this is something creative out of your mind so more the sci-fi idea and here is your solution or sci-fi sentence the internet of things will exist faster and more successfully than the iiot the industrial internet of things sci-fi or solution so from my perspective it's definitely sci-fi um since the industrial internet of things is already there at a, at a quite full scale so if you buy any manufacturing asset today, then you have the possibility to get connectivity as well. And um, so that's already a standard. It's, it might not be a full stand at, at full scale in, in each plant, at, in each line, but that's a possibility you have. And, and uh, more and more we see that that's more or less um, not a differentiator anymore. On the other hand, if you look into our private world, yes, the IoT is is there for mobile devices, and and that's of course one part. But there are still there are still so many areas. For example, the smart home, um, where the technology is there, and most vendors basically offer something in this area. But you have problems with integration, for example, making certain tools speak together, and and it's it's not not as standardized as in the industrial world. And second, um, most uh, consumers would not directly look at digitization, for example, in their smart home when they buy a new house. So definitely there's still a lot of potential in, in those areas and, and um, we will see a lot more growth in, in the private space as well. I agree. We see that if I think of, of my own way of having IoT at home, we're trying out a lot of things, my partner and I. Um, but we're doing it out of a more hedonic motivation, like because it's fun, because we want to try out the technology. We just do it like because it's fun to switch on light and like, like on and off the light with your mobile phone. But we're not really doing it because we want to save money. And um, I think in industry, there is like really a rationale behind that that will optimize your processes. And you really have the need to innovate in this area because it will bring you clear market advantages. And so I I think that this will continue to be that way for a few years now. And I mean, the complexity is different. Uh, managing a shop floor is a bit more complex than <laughs> just switching off your heating at home, right? <laughs> That's true. And But I, I like the way you describe, uh, described it both. Uh, the idea of... Um, Yeah, the industry always uh, focuses on how can we reduce costs and the, the private person is always focused on what is the more comfortable solution for me. <laughs> and of course, I like the fun part of it. I 
I online shopped. Yes, here we are again. I online shopped a new little robot uh, which is able to suck and wipe. And this is something so amazing. It's so comfortable <laughs> and it's so fun to see how he's, uh, it, how he, yeah, how it is wiping. I call him Birdie. So how he's wiping through my flat. That is something very cool. And I can, um, I can use Alexa for it. So this is also little little part of IoT in my life. Um, yeah, and um, let's move on. We have got one question left, but before we come to that last question of the audience, I want to ask something uh, which is really specific, uh, specifically a question for you, Angelika. When I read and hear all about those yeah, developments in the AI, uh, AI sector or even in the whole economy, I always have the feeling that we know a lot of things about AI, but there is still a lot of talking and less doing. So do we even need data science right now or do we even more need data doing, for example? I don't know, maybe I create a new job, data doing. Yeah, I, I feel like the science part of it is like really... Um, confusing sometimes um there's still a lot of research and i'm i'm happy to work in a company where there's research and the consulting part so i'm personally in the consulting part so i'm there to make the existing technology work and to implement it at the client side and to to generate value from it together with the client so i often call the research departments when it's about innovation and i'm checking out like what is your recent most recent progress in this area and and they're so so much more clever than i am and um, so it's really fascinating for me what is still possible and what is new applications i mean like there's so much more to explore but at the same time we need to focus on how to get the things that we already have and we have amazing use cases that are fairly quick to implement to get them working and to get them to generate value. Yeah, maybe it's also the picture which we are creating of ourselves and especially as a nation. I always think that we are way behind all the other nations. Maybe this isn't true. I mean, I, I found one statistic where we are uh, at the, the number one place uh, in robotics, for example, and in the EU, we are the leading country in robotics in the uh, European uh, United Nations. So this is very cool. And uh, I think this is something we have to work on, on our own mindset and how we, uh, yeah, how we observed things here in Germany. Johannes, uh, on your LinkedIn profile, I found an interesting post and I thought, how oh, that sounds cool. That must be a very mysterious, cool place. Uh, I, I'd like to tra uh, travel there someday when Corona is over. And it was about the engine room of digitization. Wow, that sounds like a lot of doing. <laughs> So first of all, yes, you should definitely travel there. <laughs> They have very good food. Um, <laughs> second, to give you some some background of what the uh, the engine room of digitization is, it is our development center in India that exists for almost a decade now. So we as the Trellabor Group have a history of doing a lot of digital tools ourselves. That includes websites, that includes um, mobile apps, and that also includes tools in our manufacturing world. On the other hand, um, we are now extending this and, and also in, in India these days um, with data scientists that can collaborate with the classical software developers in order to make AI really happen. And um, they are not, it's not, Uh, this room and uh, where the innovation actually happens itself, the innovation happens everywhere in our group. It might be in a laboratory, in a, in a, in a plant. It might be on the shop floor. 
But there we have the manpower to really scale it up. And that's why we call it the engine room of digitization. But it also sounds very fancy. <laughs> I have to admit that. So before we're running out of time, and I always love talking to you because it's more like the chit-chat mode than doing an interview. And I like all the insights you are, um, yeah, you're showing us and all the audience out there. I've got a last question from the audience. And maybe, Angelika, you can answer to that quickly. Uh, the, the question is, how do we develop educational programs for the next generation when the future seems so hard to predict? As we were talking about earlier, digitization affects basically everyone. Like a lot of like 90% of all job descriptions will involve some kind of digitization. So I think if we think about education, we have to make it very pertinent on, and very relevant for those people for their job roles. And we have to basically incentivize, like in, um, create incentives for people to really upskill in their area, in their particular job roles. And we have to create specific programs for, for engineering workers or whatever for the technologies that it will need in future. At the end of the podcast, and I think that that's pretty good a point, and I think we have to say flexible because if we if we set up a long, uh, let's say, educational program which lasts for three years, so when you're graduated, you can forget everything because it's uh, old stuff from yesterday. So this is good to be in in the situation and to learn by doing. There we are getting back to the point doing. But at the end of our podcast, we are doing a ceiling test every time. So for those who are joining us the first time, there are two capabilities of ceiling solutions, which are interesting for our questions right now. One of them is the flexibility and the other thing is resilience. Resilience is the cap capability of a material to return to its initial state after a huge pressure. So quick question and quick answers at the end. Um, Johannes, what do you think? Where do we need to become more resilient on the one hand on and more flexible on the other hand um, in terms of driving digitization forward, maybe specifically in 2021. So more resilience we need in turning proof of concepts into operations. So um, as we discussed in, in the beginning of our podcast, basically you cannot expect a fully functional working solution after one or two months. You can expect first results. You might could get good indications, but it really takes a long time when you turn your first results into an, an operational solution that is finally also accepted by the target group, for example, engineers. Where do we need more flexibility? We need more flexibility in building our portfolio of AI projects. So we need to accept that some projects might fail. We need to accept that some take longer, some take slower. Um, but in order to transform a company in, in a data-driven company, you should have really have a good portfolio of, of, uh, of AI projects. We need resilience with regards to the portfolio that we have in AI projects. There are pretty mature use cases that can be rolled out, but still they often have to be customized and they have to be adapted to the environment. And we have to be so resilient to trust the engineers that they do it in an efficient way and they will create the basics for rolling out the use cases. But the resilience is needed in these early phases where it feels a bit inefficient. And I think we need more flexibility with regards to changing priorities later. Maybe we see that it was the wrong one that we attacked and we need to change priorities. 
and we have to integrate all the resources in the in the company to make it really work. Like there will be um, all kinds of qualifications that we need. We don't need to hire 20 data scientists because they will do the job. No, we need to integrate the people who have the subject matter knowledge and we have to integrate all kinds of different people. And I think there we need more flexibility. I like what you said with the trust in the engineering's work. And I think we help today to maybe increase the trust in AI technology together. So thanks for all your answers and all your insights. And uh, if you're wondering who's that mysterious when uh, Angelika was talking about, we also made a podcast episode together with him. So you can look in our um, playlist and there you'll find the podcast together with Sven, which is also very interesting. It was all about the semantics of the AI side. And of course, there are pretty much more podcasts in there, more episodes about the driving questions of digitalization, electrification and sustainability. So if you're not following us yet here, just click on the subscription button. And of course, we are happy if you leave us a rating and a comment. So thanks for now. And uh, yeah, take care and See you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't want to miss anything, just subscribe to our podcast. And of course, we are happy to receive feedback from you. So we're looking forward to your ratings and comments. And of course, we still want to answer your questions. Therefore, feel free to write us at info.podcasts at trelleborg.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.